Distinguished adventurers, welcome! Lauren here, with a brief explanation all about this game. We were originally going to be part of an exciting event with several other podcasts highlighting the new campaign book Mythic Odysseys of Theros. Unfortunately, between schedules and issues with the pandemic, the event couldn't happen. However, Dungeon Drunks had already recorded our contribution to that event, which basically is the game you are about to hear, because we had a lot of fun playing that one shot in the world of Theros, so we're releasing the game and including it in our canon now. With that explained, you'll now understand why we introduce our game and our characters a bit more than usual, why Jonathan doesn't have a fireball shot, and why John takes a little bit of time to describe an NPC that appears, because we were setting up for other things that might happen in the future. And who knows, maybe those other things will still happen, they'll just all have to happen to the Heralds of Greenest. So we hope you enjoy this one-shot adventure in Theros. This is part one. Part two will be coming next week, and we hope you enjoy it. Hi, this is Jonathan, and I play the human wizard, Jonathan the Magimuscular. Hi, I'm Jack. I play Trevancore, a half-elf Beastmaster Ranger. Hi, this is John. I play your half-orc barbarian, Carlton Tanks. Hi, this is Julia. I play the rock gnome cleric, Bernice Q. Burns. And I am Lauren, your humble DM, and welcome to Dungeon Drunks. Distinguished adventurers, welcome to Dungeon Drunks. I'm your DM, Lauren. You might know me as Oboe. I usually spend the beginning of the episode, if you're listening to our regular show, describing what we did last time on Dungeon Drunks. And then we go around the table and talk about what we are drinking while we are playing with each other because... Dungeon Drunks is an excuse for me and my friends to get together and talk and then occasionally play D&D. But let me take a moment. I am going to allow my wonderful friends to introduce themselves, introduce their characters, introduce what they're drinking, and then we will dive into today's story, starting with Jules, aka Bernie. Who are you playing and what are you drinking? Hi, guys. I'm Jules and I play our cleric gnome Bernice Q. Burns, who everyone calls Bernie, for the one pertinent piece of information that you need to know is that when choosing a goddess for my gnome, I decided it would essentially be Beyonce. She worships a fantasy version of Beyonce called Queen Bay, because I figured Queen Bee would be a little too on the nose. And if you mispronounce <laughs> it, you get Bay. B-E-Y is how you spell it. Lots of bees, lots of lemons. Yeah, that's a yeah, that's really it. She were she yeah, the, it, it ain't that deep, friends. <laughs> doesn't have to be uh, but we love beyonce here you know go listen to lemonade um and tonight i have not a new entry into the cider wars but more like a stalwart soldier uh which is the brickwork cider batch 1904 and brickwork cider is out of toronto ontario and i'll say this we are doing this in the middle of covid and i've said this most games but if you guys have an opportunity to support your local brewery if you are a person who drinks if you're not support your local soda maker go out if you're in toronto get you some it's really good all right i i also forgot to say what i'm drinking i have a large amount of water and a small amount of jack daniels with honey not in the water i just realized in the middle of that i didn't actually talk about what i was drinking i have all the water tiny bit of jack and honey speaking of jack jack aka travancore what are you drinking and who are you playing Good people of Faerun, I will answer the questions in order. Travancore's choice this evening is, once again, Blake's Hard Ciders Company. I guess not again for, for those who are listening to the show. Case in the point, inside jokes. Uh, the <laughs> Triple Jam, which is strawberry, blackberry, and raspberry. It is sweet and, well, not that sweet, actually. Mostly dry, but a little bit of sweetness in there. My character is, I hope I do a better job explaining the Travancore than I do of the, the drink. Travancore is a half-elf beastmaster ranger from the erstwhile mysterious kingdom of Prakanum. Which is inspired in equal measures by uh, South India and southeastern Pennsylvania. He has a bear named Shadow because he's a Beastmaster Ranger, and Shadow thinks he's a fire bear and can conjure magic, and he talks a bit like this. I mean, he is a fire bear and he can conjure magic because he's got Jonathan with him. Jonathan, who plays Jonathan the Magic Muscular. What are you drinking and who are you playing? Hey, this is Jonathan, and like Lauren said, I play Jonathan the Magic Muscular, the human evocation wizard. Uh, he is a muscle-bound, tan-skinned human, and bald, and throws lots of magic. He is an elemental adept, so his fire is blue rather than orange or red. 
And uh, I am drinking just rum and coke. I've been drinking it all day because I've been lucky enough to to have been board gaming with friends. And that is one of those things where it's a give and take, given our situation. I would have never played board games like this, but now I get to get play board games with friends all over the country. And I get to play D&D with these friends who are all over the two countries. Last, but absolutely, certainly not least, John, aka Carlton, who are you playing and what are you drinking? Well, definitely not last because I'm usually at the front of the line because I am your half-orc barbarian, <laughs> ancestral guardian barbarian slash champion fighter, Carlton Tanks. He is, uh, you know, kind of a little, you know, his heart's bigger than his brain sometimes. And All the time. Uh, he finds himself often, you know, being healed over stupid things, uh, even though Bernie says she doesn't heal stupid. So, you know, if there's anything he loves more than uh, fighting, it's his pack, aka the Heralds of Greenest. Uh, and for my drink today, it is another sparkling water uh, from Sip. This is uh, Mojo Berry. It is blackberry, mint, and lime. And it is very refreshing. Ah, oh, I'm always a fan of any time that you have blackberry in the house. That makes me so happy. Blackberry mm. is such a delicious fruit. Blackberry it is sodas so good. end up being some of the best. It's some of my favorite tea, too. Yes. All right. I have blackberry hibiscus somewhere in the house. Blackberry jam is better than grape jam. I said it. And I have strong feelings for grape I jam. I agree with it. We will not disagree like with the, we did with the raisins. See? Another inside joke. Let's not get into the raisins. No, <laughs> we don't have enough time for that. It is dark. You are alone. The last thing you remember is going to sleep. So you think this might be a dream. But it feels real. But it is pitch. There is nothing above you, below you, around you. You float in an endless sea of nothing. Quiet, content, a little wary. You look to your right, you look to your left, you see nothing. But then you hear a voice, kind, gentle, coming from everywhere. And it's far away and yet in your head at the same time. And she says, I am Ifara. I am goddess of this land. This isle is mine, and I protect the polis here. And as fate changers, I require your assistance. There are those who would see great harm come to one of the greatest champions of my world, and we have gathered who we can to stop that. I have one such champion who will venture to the underworld in order to protect our own. But like most mortals, they cannot do this alone. And you see, for the first time since this has started, shimmering light in the distance almost almost like a star in the night sky slowly approaching you as this voice continues and says i send you to melitus to the polis of altrasos this is my town this is my city and i will not see it destroyed and i will not see my champion fail and now if you accept if you take on this great and powerful burden, if you accept my boon, then you will also become my champions. And the light grows larger and larger, and now you see that it's not a light at all. It's a statue of a woman, bronze skin, long hair, gentle smile on her face. She's holding a jug in one hand like just above her shoulder and from that jug pours the universe stars constellations a sea of black filled with light and despite the fact that she does not move her lips do not part nothing about her countenance changes it is obvious to you in this moment she is speaking to you that this figure in front of you is ifara and as she approaches and your vision fills with this image. She asks you, Travancore, will you come to my aid? I have experience in the field of great and powerful burdens. I wouldn't wish them on anyone. I'm here to help. Jonathan, will you come to my aid? Oh, absolutely for real. And when Jonathan says this, he is, what's it, reflexively flexing. So he doesn't realize he's doing it, but he's just flexing as he accepts this burden. Carlton, will you come to my aid? Do I see the others around, the other heralds? No, you do not. You only see Afara. This Afara in front of you. Yeah, yeah. This this would be a great. This is gonna be a cool dream. I can't wait to tell the guys about this. Yes, I accept. 
Bernice, will you accept this? You can call me Bernie. Really, everyone does. Bernice is not... You know, I was going to say something about being essentially a monotheist, but all evidence points to the contrary at this point, so sure, why not? Is it a warm island? Because one time I was promised a vacation and I got pie in monster form, not in eating form. Warm, right? Tropical-y? Mediterranean-ish? If that's a vocabulary word that exists in this universe. <laughs> As you accept, the statue in front of you of Afara slowly starts to recede from your vision, although her voice stays. And as she says these final words, you do start to hear the gentle lapping of waves and the feel of sand under your feet and the sound of gulls in the air, although you still can't see anything else except for this figure. And Afara says... I thank you greatly for your time. My champion lies preparing for the most important mission of their lives. And now your mission is to protect them and my city in this moment. And as the final light from this statue fades into darkness, it's as if... The curtain has been lifted, the veil around you parts, and like a movie scene that fades up, you now see before you a brilliant blue ocean and sky. You see the gulls above you. You feel the sand under your feet. You hear people behind you talking in hushed voices, and probably most importantly, you look around and you see your three other companions. Guys, have you seen my shoes? Wait, are we in with our stuff or are we in or I'm in my like bumblebee pajamas? You look down and all of you are wearing the standard gear that you would normally be wearing when traveling the world. Although, Bernie, you do not see Coco Snoot. Travancore, you do not see Shadow. And Jonathan, you do not see Bucks. Hmm. So where are our shoes? I don't what dream are you doing about, in my dream? Yeah, I don't dream about Bucks too often. It happens, but so I accept this. This is fine. Do you think this is a dream? Oh, 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 Chef. Let's write. Who knows what time it is? If it's a dream, we won't be able to tell the time or read anything that's written down. You know, I surprisingly don't dream about you guys very often. So this is this is nice. Well, thanks, bud. Welcome to my dream. Your dream? No, this is my dream, and I huh? dream about you four, three all the time. I actually don't want to know how that goes. You do know uh, with your keen mind. It is exactly 10 minutes after noon, after 12. Why do I know that? Okay, dream companions. This might not be Hold a dream. On. Let's establish very quickly that I requested a very nice, beachy, warm environment, and that's what we got. So if it's anybody's dream, Wait, hold on. I know, if, I know if we can tell this is a dream. I pinched Jonathan. Now He pinches you. Okay. I smack him back. <laughs> stop. You, you guys need to stop. If this is a dream, then we cease to exist as soon as the dreamer wakes up. But which one of us is the dreamer? So <laughs> you caught us like mid-second slap as Carlton's about to unleash his like devastating <laughs> slap on me. But we're like frozen like, oh. Now I'm pretty sure I'm the real Travancore, but on the off chance I'm not. And this is a simulation. I'd rather not die this way. What? Oh, it's so much worse than dying. You just cease to exist. That, that does not sound like what I signed up for. What? Right. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So you'll be fine. It's my dream. And... Obviously, I'm being mildly rewarded for the pie incident. So let's figure out, are there people around us? <laughs> I was told there would be a thriving metropolis. So you have come to consciousness facing the ocean and seeing each other. And now as Bernie points this out, you look behind you. <laughs> <laughs> That's very on brand for us. <laughs> totally on brand. <laughs> I was just waiting our, for someone to Our Three to Stooges ask. routine, uh, you know, is happening in, on this beach. We're 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 fucking entertainment. Dun, 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 dun. It's pretty <laughs> much an average D and D party, actually. A gorgeous beach is all around you, sloping gently up to what is obviously the side of a city. You can't see much of the city because from where you are currently standing, the main wall separating where you are from what must be a thriving metropolis is immense. It is a wall of probably solid 
maybe marble, some kind of white rock that gleams off of the noonday sun. And it is way higher than anything you are used to from Waterdeep, from Neverwinter, from anywhere in Faerun. It is pristine and gorgeous and seems to go on for miles, stretching. It's a good 300 feet away from you because it's up on a bluff away from the sands of the beach. But it is high enough that you cannot see anything past it. Although you do barely see guards along the top wall and you see it stretching down the beach line. And the people that you hear are at the base of this wall up just past where the sand ends and some little bits of of grass begin, where would normally be a kind of a grassy bluff leading off of this beach. Up into the wall, just along the side of this wall, 300 feet from where you are directly from the ocean, there seems to be a pavilion set up. The There's a, a tent set up in bright blues and whites that almost looks festive, Although there isn't a, an obvious celebration going on. It's an open air pavilion tent. So you can see directly into it to the wall that is surrounding the city. And you notice three things. There is about a dozen people all in scholarly robes, kind of plain blue and white adorned robes, all milling about. Some of them obviously in prayer, but in not in like loud proclamative prayer. They, they just seem to have hands clasped or are regarding the wall quietly. A lot of them are looking at you and that's kind of where you hear the gentle murmurs of people talking from. There is against the wall set up a marble dais large enough to be a, a resting place. And indeed it is. There's another figure on top of that resting place lying down. And from where you are, you can't see very many details of this figure, but they are not robed. And this dais that they are laying under, above it, on the wall, as though the pavilion was set up because this is at this point of the wall and not the other way around, there is a massive ivory carved face protruding from the wall as though the wall was created to include this relief of a woman that you are all familiar with, Ephara, this, the same statuesque goddess who had spoken to you in whatever just happened. Her face protrudes, gently smiling from the wall, unmoving. It is, for all intents and purposes, a statue is just her face. And uh, you are being regarded with a mixture of wonder, suspicion, curiosity, and maybe a few smiles? Oh, hey, I know her. But they are pretty far away. You would have to move a lot closer if you wanted to speak to anybody or examine anything. Bernie is going to lean into Carlton and nudge him, and she's going to say, Hey, Carlton, if you want, later you can chase Jonathan in circles around the wall, and Travancore can stand on top and fire arrows at you. It'll be a great game. No, I... I, I... I mean, I trust Travancore's shot, but... That's all you should. Oh, it's it'll be 50 points if he gets you in the ankle. I mean, it's I, we're going to be doing... I plan on doing a bit of drinking while I'm on vacation. And so, yeah, that sounds like a bad time to take an arrow to the knee. No, it'll be an arrow to the tendon, really, if you think about it. She wasn't made of elephant pieces in the dream. That's what? disconcerting. Why do people not like elephants? Wait, she's made of elephant pieces? That she's it's ivory, isn't it? No, it's marble. I thought clearly. it was ivory colored. Well, it can't be marble. You wouldn't defend a city with a marble wall. You'd get something a little. Well, you wouldn't defend, defend the city with you know a giant relief, but there it is. A far the I think her name is. Are high and therefore implied defense. No one builds a wall that high for cleansies. Do you think she knows the goddess Rachel? You know, I haven't run into many people who know her. We could ask them. We should probably ask them because I think they're staring because at us. Because we keep running to a lot of gods. Rachel doesn't strike me as the kind to have a very wide, godly social circle. I, I think she keeps to herself. That said, we don't really know her that well. But we do know her house and her modrons. You want to go over? See what's going on? We, yeah, might, yeah, as, let's, we let's... might as well. Also, you know, first things first for Jonathan the Magimuscular. And he touches his chest and a shimmer appears briefly around him as he casts Mage Armor real quick. 
It's a good idea. I'm so glad you remembered that. Hey, bud, while we're while we're here, before we get into the crowd, do we want a Telbond? You want me to perform a ritual for 10 minutes in front of an audience that we already have? <laughs> yes. Jonathan no, the Metamuscular I... accepts. And Jonathan <laughs> the Metamuscular sits down and starts muscly doing a ritual. Like whenever he can flex to perform this ritual, he does. And he attempts to cast uh, Rary's Telepathic Bond. This okay. is not how I thought my dream would go. Actually, it's pretty it's pretty standard every day dreaming here. I mean, this is a, a something that happens all the time and dreams imitate life. The sand is warm and pleasant and uh you sit down and begin this ritual. About a minute or two into it, one of the robed figures from many many feet away approaches. Slowly, curiously, with a a small smile on her face, she is adorned in this blue and white robe that it speaks of cleric and yet functionary official. It's, It's kind of skirting that line and she's got sandals on and she approaches you cautiously and smiles and says, Hi, I am assuming you are here because of Ifara? Yeah, she she came to me in my dream, and she brought me and then my friends here. Yeah, same, but, but for me. Yeah, I think it sort of happened individually, but all together. Hi, I'm Bernie. I'm a disciple of Bay. I assume you claim the same title for Afara. Oh no, I am. I'm everybody here in this town, in this city, uh, worships Afara, of course. But I am. I am a minor dignitary she just warned us the face told us to come and to be prepared for her champions and you are the others that we were told were coming so please uh others is your friend okay yeah he uh it's his meditation to uh center himself he usually does it when he wakes up but we're not sure if we're awake or dreaming oh that is an interesting philosophical question i pitched him and he hurt so i think we're awake but i also don't know where i'm at so I think I might be dreaming. That is the problem with dreams. There is no real way to tell. I have heard that you cannot read or tell the time while in a dream. And while there is very little that I can do to dissuade this idea, because I certainly believe that this is reality, is there anything that I can offer to help? You know, this is not the weirdest thing that's happened to us, if I'm going to be honest. I would assume if you have been called here by Afara, then you are beings of great import and power, even if you are not one of her chosen. You are now one of her chosen, but she does not require piety. She just requires civilization. Hmm. Brady's going to chuckle for a while at piety. <laughs> I did not. No. Gonna... <laughs> um, I, great import. Mm. Power? Yeah, sure. Yeah, you know, uh, we need about what? Seven and a half, six more minutes here. Bernie like looks over surreptitiously to Jonathan. I mean, at this point, we should know what, how exactly how yeah. much longer is left in this Telbond ritual. We've we, done I'd say yeah. You you're you're you've got about six minutes left. Uh, the woman says, "Well, I I have no reason to believe we do not have that time. I was just told that we needed to do what we could to inform you of any questions you might have." And then hopefully everything will be okay by sundown. Right, you said this is reality. As far as I am aware, yes, although the, the technical Where reason- Where are we then? Because we were in Neverwinter, Faerun. Have you heard of Neverwinter? I am sorry, that is not familiar to me, but uh, certainly I would not presume to know everywhere amongst all of the planes. Oh, uh, uh, wait, on... wait, planes? Oh, God, not again. Yes. Can I just ask you something? Not again! <laughs> Every time! Every time! This is Ekviarn all over again in the Feywild! We're not no, in the Feywild. No, we are definitely not in the Feywild. You know no. what? This is definitely This is a lot not... nicer than Feywild. This is a lot nicer than the Feywild. Let me tell you guys, I when I asked for... Is this a Mediterranean plane? Is that where we are? <laughs> where would you call us? So you are currently on the Isle of Melitus, and we are just outside of the main city of Altrasos. This is one of the main holdings that our Lady Afara calls one of her most special polices. She has protected us before, as you can see, and she points to the giant wall behind her, including the face on it, and says, this would not be the first time that she has come to our aid in times of need, although this time it is a much more... Direct, for sure. So is 
The, so that's the name of this island. And the city you see is Altrasos. Altrasos. Now, is this island part of a larger continent? Uh, yes, there's many, but the... An and what is that one called? The well, collection. Most of all that we care about is Melitus in, this, in the, the material plane. Okay, so we still are in the material plane. As far as I am aware, yes. Have you been to other... And she starts to say that, and then she stops herself. And you can tell, like... She's got the researcher's spark of interest. And then she stops herself and says, I would love nothing more than to ask so many questions. I'm sure you hail from very far away. There is not many people in this world who can stand up to the requirements of gods and their their machinations. But if you have been called upon and come, and if you are here to protect our most sacred of charges, then I would love to... Ask, but uh, time may not be on our side. All I know is that we have been told to tell you that it is most important that our friend here is protected until nightfall. At that moment, they will be able to enter the underworld and go after a champion of our own. Uh, so when she's talking about time, I'll even though Jonathan is in the middle of his ritual, I'll pick him up and I'll start carrying him to where we need to go so he can finish his ritual without actually having to move. Jonathan the Magic Muscular has gone rigid. He's still doing like the motions with his hands that involve flexing. But Carlton is like, this speaks to the core strength of Jonathan the Magic Muscular. It speaks to Jonathan's strength. It, it speaks to your friendship and it speaks to uh, the way you usually work. So yes, I'm I'm not even gonna make your roll. You pick him up. The the woman, she's introduced herself as Sarah, and she says, Well that is Okay, if that's what we're here, please. So, you know, you know Sarah, it's um I'm Bernice, this is Travancourt. That's Hello. That, that's Carlton, the one hi. with the sort of um, and I go, Hi, I dropped Jonathan as I wave to her. Oh god. No, I'm gonna say that you you wave to her. Give me an acrobatics check. Yay! All right. Let's see. Let's see if you actually see if drop. You can juggle old Jonathan the Magic Muscle. Is there any way I can aid him on this check or no? <laughs> no. No. But okay. I'm gonna say it's not that hard of a check because. Okay. All right. Yeah. So all right. That'll be a soft twenty. Yeah. You you think enough to balance him like a tray, like a waiter with a tray before you <laughs> wave to give yourself the two seconds to wave before you take him in both hands. Jonathan doesn't even notice. Uh, yes, please come come with us. Uh, sit in the shade. I, as I said, I do not know how long we have, but as long as we are uh, safe for the moment, I would love to give you some any information that would be pertinent. Please, please. And she leads you up the sands, up the bluff, under the the large tent that all the other people are standing around, all kind of in the same robes, all who have grown quiet or at least are no longer speaking in anything but hushed tones now that you are here. Nobody is hostile. Nobody's carrying weapons. They all seem at most excited or curious or apprehensive, but you can all easily tell it's not you that is making them apprehensive. She leads you through everybody directly up to the figure on the dais in front of this relief of the the goddess Afara. And John, would you describe the satyr that is currently unconscious in front of everybody? Now, you said earlier when in, like uh, describing it, not wearing anything. No, I said you couldn't tell. You can't oh, okay. tell it. Like, all the other figures are wearing these robes gotcha. because this was 300 feet away. Gotcha. All you so could he's not tell. Naked. Not unless you want him to be naked, but. No, he's got his, he's got his gear. Okay. So, yeah, there you come up upon the altar and there is a satyr roughly around uh, like five foot ish. You know, his one, uh, like an eye patch over one eye. Uh, the other horn, his one of his horns is just like decorated with like piercings, like hoops. He's got like a little a, a leer next to him, uh, and on his hand you see a ring that has an urn, which looks like it's pouring out a galaxy. And Jonathan, well, Jonathan's not going to notice anything at the well, moment. Well, Jonathan would be afraid to light a match near him, given the vapors that are coming off of him. Oh. <laughs> okay. And what's the name of this satyr? Alekos Quickfoot. Okay. And he him? Uh, yes. Okay. Sarah points to the satyr and and now that you're here you see so this is a satyr uh the hooved feet the the horns you're all kind of familiar with the the race in general as you're passing by the other figures you do see it is a a collection of people sarah is a human a, a human female but you do see several other humans you actually see a minotaur you see what looks like a tabaxi but 
more like a lion creature, like much more muscled and larger. It's a it's a large collection of of people amongst this dozen these dozen figures and the satyr in front of you. And Sarah points to to him and says, "This is our charge from Afara. He is heading to the underworld to help rescue a most beloved champion." He is meeting up with others in order to do this. And our job and your job, I must admit, it is your job. Because if the gods are as unkind as we are afraid, then there is very little that I can do except impart information and get out of your way. Uh, our job is to protect him until the sun goes down at that point. At that point, it is up to him. Protect him from what? We don't know. The... The travel to the underworld is dangerous in and of itself, and there are many who would see his quest fail to save our most beloved champion. Sela is dead and needs to be brought back by almost any means necessary, but... Oh, I mean, why didn't you say so? (laughs) We could just do that. If we had access to her body, then maybe yes, but there is... It is complicated, and I might not have time to explain everything, but but your... I, if you have the body, I've got diamonds, and we can just... Ah. Spend the rest of the day on the beach? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I'm, I'm just saying, like, if you, would you, is there, do you want to, is the body in the end? Because traditionally you don't, well, everybody's dead are a little different. I understand, and it is a very kind thing for you to offer, and if we had a body to be able to, to make that happen, then certainly... Your your presence here would not be required, and a trip to the underworld would not be necessary. But the gods are fickle, and war, and getting each other's way, and there is not much we can do except play our part. And thankfully, you have been asked to, and agreed to play this part in protecting our friend, and she points to the satyr, who will then go forward and do his. Oh. And Jonathan, at this point, the Telbund finishes. Tail bond. Boop. Except, except. Also except. Out of curiosity, do you only include your fellow friends or do you include anybody else? Just, you're not required to. You just happen to be also standing around 12 other people, including Sarah. Uh, Jonathan the Magimuscular has not. Well, there's, no, there's a Eula. Like, she could accept or not accept. So. True, but you do know that, like, it doesn't explain what it is. <laughs> oh, it that's just true. Says, okay. You know, it would be the equivalent, if you don't warn her ahead of time, it would be the equivalent of your computer popping up a pop-up saying, hey, do you accept? Like, accept what? The answer is always no. Exactly. Okay, so (laughs) Sarah is left out of this. Uh, It's just the the normal party. Jonathan snaps out of his reverie and is like, and says out loud, wow, this is fascinating. Jonathan the Magimuscular is very curious. So to recap some of this, we are still in the material plane, just in a very, very different place. Or a different material plane. Are there more than one? Oh, oh man. Oh, yeah. Travancore, we're going to have to go over planar mechanics here sometime. Yeah, Sreebolic Bonaventure didn't cover it. Question. So is this jo- out loud or, it, or you're going to have to be this careful? Is a, this is out of game. This is Jonathan to the DM. Does Jonathan the Magimuscular have a key to go back to the Ferunian material plane if he needs to plane and shift us out. You do not currently have a key anywhere. Oh, fun. Okay. So Jonathan the Magimuscular is like, ah, no problem. If we get, if we need to go home, I can just, oh, I haven't done that yet. So it's like most things, the only way out is through. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, In this case, yes. This is the second time we have been taken somewhere and I, Jonathan the Magimuscular has not been able to get us back. Jonathan the Magimuscular needs to be more prepared. Well, or, or gods need to quit, quit kidnapping us. Are you saying any of that out loud? Jonathan the Magimuscular said all of that just now out loud. About okay. ending up in weird places and not being able to send us back. Sarah will- I will say Intelbond or gods need to stop kidnapping us. <laughs> <laughs> in, Lauren will say before Sarah talks, Ethara asked- and got your permission. Yeah, Bernie was going to say in the Telbon, it's not kidnapping if you consent to it. I think that's mostly just like... But we th- I thought it was a dream. Well, that's fair. But also, she she never said it was a dream. And she did ask if you wanted to do it. And you could have said no. And I mean, admittedly, <laughs> most consent involves being able to say no whenever you want to. But this is 
less about the bedroom and more about we're here right now. So, And Sarah speaks up at this point and says, I cannot understand the complexities of being asked by multiple gods to do things, but it heartens me because if this is true, if, if you are fate changers and heroes of that are renowned to be called upon by so many divine beings. And I need everybody to roll a perception check. Okay. Getting that good old Dungeons and Dragons-ing in. I know, there hasn't been much in the way of rolling. I believe that is going to be an 11. It's 11 from Jonathan. Uh, Travancore, what'd you roll? 27, but that is a natural 20. Nice. Everybody drink. Hmm? Carlton Hmm. got a 26. And Bernie? Bernie got a 24. She rolled a nice. 19. She's so close to a 20. All right, Jonathan, so you are- what Jonathan doing? <laughs> Jonathan is, is mulling over the possibility of interplanar travel and being a fate changer and gods and uh, also breakfast. I don't know. The rest of you hear a low rumble that seems to echo through the wall in a weird way. And so you are smart enough to look up. And at the top of the wall, you see two horrible figures, both of them creatures that seem to be a strange amalgam of multiple different beasts, both of them growling in very different ways. And as they have appeared on the wall, the people nearby, uh, including Sarah, have also noticed and have gathered around the satyr like a human shield. What you see is on on your left and both of these creatures while they while they have wings they seem to be like the gliding wing types and they are large on your left you see they're both horrible chimera beasts but not what you're used to one of them on the left seems to be a shark at least in body and in one of its heads, except it's got these uh, webbed duck talons and another head of a duck and the third head of a dragon, all in blues, like the the faintest uh, shimmering blue, white, and gray of that shark feature. All of them sharp teeth just growling at you in a way that you don't expect something with a duck head to growl. On the right, you see something swampy, green, with a green dragon, almost lizard-like head and body. A second rooster-type head, but mutated and with the saggy skin of a cockatrice. And instead of a third head, you notice that its tail is the head of a snake that has come up and is hissing at you. And as both of these creatures jump off, glide and land in the sand, throwing up sand next to you, one on the left, one on the right. Now, Jonathan, you come out of your reverie and notice both of these creatures. The dozen or so locals have gathered around the body of this satyr and Sarah in... What is kind of hope and kind of horror says, we will be the last line of defense. Please protect us. Oh, we can all roll initiative. Okay. Protecting's what I do. I'm Lisa Chen, and I host Behold Her, a monthly podcast that shines a spotlight on women in the world of tabletop games. There are so many women to behold in this amazing hobby, and our experiences as female gamers are as diverse as we are as individuals. Through one-on-one interviews, audio essays, and panel discussions, all centered around a monthly theme, the guests on Beholder share their unique stories as players, game masters, designers, artists, organizers, and so much more. Their words are inspiring, uplifting, and informative. Check out Behold Her Podcast wherever podcasts are found or visit BeholdHerPodcast.com. We here at Dungeon Drunks are huge fans of Idle Champions of the Forgotten Realms. It's a Dungeons & Dragons strategy video game that brings together D&D characters from novels, adventures, and multiple live streams into a single grand adventure. It is so much fun to put together a formation that includes champions from Companions of the Hall, High Rollers, C-Team, Beyond Heroes, and more. 
I usually have the game running in the background while I edit audio for the show, and thanks to the fine folks who make Idol Champions, we're fortunate enough to be able to offer a free gold chest to all of our listeners. This week's code expires on June 28th at 8pm Pacific, so open up the game, go to the shop, and type in this code. R-A-C-K-M-I-Z-Z-B-I-N-D So use that code and then let us know on Twitter or Instagram what goodies you got. And now, enough of the loot drops, back to the show. All right, Jonathan the Magimuscular has a plan. What's the plan, J-Man? Throw up a a globe of invulnerability around the satyr and then charge. I like that plan. Well, even though I have advantage, I don't think I'm going to get better than a natural 20. I hey, no, a natural 20. No either. So 23 total. Here, let me just go ahead and roll because I don't have to add anything to it. So no bonuses to that shit. Oh, good. That's a three. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, dear. Oh, I should be no. laughing, but because I'll be paying for it later. Words, curses I cannot say. I mean, you could say them. I just got to then edit them out. and. So I, I've been trying to be good. I have thrown one F-bomb Might so well far. Might as stand up for the battle. I know. Carlton. 23. Well, that's a three. And Thir- that's and three. <laughs> hey, listen, it happens. Jonathan? Uh, soft 20. And Travancore. 21 to drink. All right. You watch these two horrific amalgams of creatures land in the sand. Uh, the aquatic version to your left, the swampy creature to your right. And it is Carlton. You are up first. What would you like to do? Uh, so I see the one to the left. Uh, Bernie is between me and it. So I'm going to kind of like jump over Bernie and then charge at this thing, uh, sword in hand. And then first thing I'll do is I'm going to rage as a barbarian. It's kind of my main job. It is your thing. It's my, definitely my thing. And then uh, I will attack this guy recklessly. Mm-hmm. Oof. Ugh, that's bad. I rolled a one and a two. Oh, no. Oh, dear. So does a 12 hit? Sadly, a 12 does not hit. Uh, It manages to, even though it's got three heads, all three manage to duck out of the way of your your swing. All right. Well, I get to swing multiple times because I'm a high-level character. You are. Let's for that. Does a 20. Oh, my God. That's another one in that. Good thing I'm reckless. Does a 25 hit? 25 definitely hits. All right. It'll take. Do I have to separate the damage types? Um, no, your, because uh, I'm assuming you're using your lightning sword. My, yeah, my sword that does slashing and lightning damage. Uh, in this case, no, you do not. All right, uh, it'll be 21 points of total damage. All right. Anything else? Bonus action, attack. No, I'm good. All right. It is Travancore's turn. Yeah, as uh, Carlton gets first blood on this strange chimera creature. Okay, Travancore is going to have Hunter's Mark on the one that Carlton is attacking, and he's going to go after it with... Uh, Isil Gall, throw him into the fire, and he's going to get advantage because he's attacking before them. Oh, that's good. 29. <laughs> 29 there definitely are a hits. lot of ones in this game. Jesus. Hey, listen, oh. I can't control what the dice do. You've seen me roll three ones Get in up. a row. So Zeus's beer. I'm going, I, well, that's okay if you do it. I don't think it's okay if anyone does it. Changing my dice color. It's going to be 11 points of piercing plus an extra one from the hunter's mark, so 12. Sure. Yep, that arrow sinks in deep. Now, normally you would have Shadow who could do a bonus action because uh, Shadow is not here with you. What I am going to let you do is allow one of your friends to take an extra attack. You can give it to anybody. Oh, let me think about it. Carlton takes. (laughs) Uh, Would this be a single attack action? This would be a single attack action. Like one attack, like one what swing, Shadow would normally be able to do. Uh, so normally, Travancore has his black bear, and the black bear can do an attack as essentially it, it's your bonus action, right, Travancore? Well, yeah, my, as, uh, it's not even a bonus action. Like uh, Shadow gets his own independent action. It's Shadow's reaction. I yeah, think. Yeah, reaction is the attack. Yeah, so Shadow's reaction would be to attack on my turn. So you can ask one of your friends to do either the reaction you would give Shadow or on your turn, as if Shadow was was attacking on your turn, you can give that single attack to somebody else. All right, so, so it can be different every round or does it have to be Carlton the whole time? It can be different every round. Just, oh, just that's interesting. Because I've, I've, I felt like that was the, the way of balancing out the fact that I've taken Shadow away from you is to give you a few more options. So Yep, so this time it's going to go to Carlton. So I get an attack on, on my turn. All right, and is this this is using my reaction, correct? No, this is using oh. Travancore's reaction. 
Got it. Great. You're pretending to be Shadow in this moment. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, 27 to hit. That hits. Uh, For another 21 points. Nice. All right, Travancore, anything else? Travancore is going to move between the the spellcast, the capital F spellcasters, and end his turn there. All right, Jonathan, I know you had called out what you were going to do for for the sake of knowing where things are on the map. I will just let you know that to the south, about 15 feet is the Seder on the and uh, currently being surrounded by all of the 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 local people to the north is 300 feet of sand and water and to the east and the west are these creatures. Okay. So Jonathan the Magimuscular is going to head south 15 feet. He's going to get right up to Sarah and say, Jonathan the Magimuscular as asks you to pardon for his uh, for his intrusiveness. One second. He roils his hands together, throws them out in each direction. And as he does so, a purple shimmering force bubble pops up around him in a 10 foot radius. Okay. And that's the invulnerable. Give me, give me all the details on this and whether you can leave it and it still is okay. Because we haven't done this too often. It is globe of invulnerability and a mobile, faintly shimmering barrier springs into existence in a 10 foot radius around you and remains for the duration, which is a minute. It is concentration, so I'll have to concentrate on it. Uh, any spell of fifth level or lower cast from outside the barrier can't affect creatures or objects within it even if it is cast using a higher level spell slot. Such a spell can target creatures and objects within the barrier, but has the spell has no effect on them. Similarly, the area within the barrier is excluded from the areas affected by such spells. Okay. And it's just spells or is it also physical attacks? It just said spells. Okay. But they are now very well protected from spells, which is very good. Jonathan the Magimuscular doesn't think doesn't know if these things are spellcasters, but Better safe than sorry. So Jonathan the Magimuscular is essentially going to move back to where he was and get ready to to lay down some some evocation smackdown next turn. Okay. Where exactly would you like to move to? He's going to move pretty much to back to the same place where he was. He just hopped back to south to uh, cast the barrier, and then he's just going to hop straight north. Okay. So you're going to position yourself behind Travancore and Bernie yes. again? Look, okay. All right. It is the aquatic chimera's turn. It is growling and snapping at Carlton. It's already looking incredibly hurt between all of these attacks. And the shark mouth opens. And you're all in this gorgeous line. Oh, no! why are we in a line? Oh, boy. As this, this giant maw filled with rows upon rows of shark teeth opens up, it expels a torrent of greenish acidic water in a 60-foot line that is five feet wide. So it is going to get its fellow chimera. I need... Everybody to make a dexterity saving throw DC 15. So let me know. Uh, I, I will ask down the line if you succeed or fail. Oof. Well, I'm assuming since this thing is right in front of me, I see this coming at me. You do. The other Chimera succeeded. That'll be so easy it to will cut, take half damage. Carlton? So you said the DC was 15. It was a D- DC 15 dexterity saving throw. Right. With my advantage, I rolled a 13 and a 14. That happens. That's a failure, Bernie. <laughs> I also rolled a 13, so that fails. And Jonathan? That is going to be a 18. You succeed, and Travancore? 12. That's a failure. If you fail, you're going to take 27 points of acid damage, and you are currently knocked prone. If you succeeded, you are not knocked prone, you only take half. Half a 12. Are we doing 13, or are we doing 13? I will use my Uh, Yeah, always round down. Uh, I'm going to use my reaction to have my spirit shield protect uh, Bernie a little bit. Uh, so you'll reduce that by 3d6. So give me one second. Uh, Bernie, you'll reduce that by 7. Okay, so or even 20 is good. Fortunately, that's all it can do. The other one... And Jonathan the Magimuscular makes his concentration check to keep the globe up. The other one... Good, thank you. Because the other one is going to move up to you. Oh dear. Jonathan. And the beak of the cockatrice opens. Actually, so first, it's going to try to hit you with... So first, the green dragon claws come out and are going to try to hit you. Oh, that is, however, a natural one. So it's still... Bless me. At least we're not the only ones. Yeah, it is still reeling from being hit with the acid from this this fellow chimera of its. Is it mad? Is it like... 
come on, Benny. Really? Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> Benny, God. Jesus Christ, Benny, you can't We rehearsed this, Benny. I'm right here. You can't see me amongst the crowd of literally people that look nothing like me. Its tail is going to come around and try to bite Jonathan. Does a 16 hit you? It would, but I managed to throw up a shield. Okay. So yes, whoosh, your shield goes up and the giant fangs of this snake tail sink into your arcane ward before it can sink into your flesh. Finally, the cockatrice beak is going to stare at you and I need you to make a constitution saving throw, DC 15. Oh dear. I'm going to use a point of luck. Going to use my cloak of, uh, actually, hang on. Did I equip that or? We did. On. Remember, we only had those unequipped for other story reasons. So by now we'd have them. Yes, I left. Is what we're I seeing. believe I unattuned to the Pearl of Power so that I could keep the cloak. And so I'm going to reroll that. Use your favorite cloak. You're going to pull cloak. out all the tricks to try to save from this. Yes. 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 15. Whew. All right, you feel the the breath, the hot breath wash over your skin. And just as you think you're about to start to petrify, you manage to shrug it off. And that is the end of its turn. Bernie, it's your turn. Well, for obvious reasons, Bernie's about to is casting Bless. Okay. (laughs) If I was going to cast it anyway, and we have been given much evidence that it's necessary, I'm going to cast it at a second level so that everybody in our party gets blessed. Whenever you guys make an attack roll, Carlton, or a saving throw, all of us, and (laughs) you get to roll a d4, and the number you roll is added to that throw. And now, to use my bonus action, we're going to cast Spiritual Weapon. What are you creating? Well... She's feeling thematic today, and she's going to actually cast it as it's normally a second level spell. I think she's going to cast it at fourth level because she wants it to do some damage, and she has a feeling it's going to be her main damage dealer. She's probably going to be healing everybody all the time. So she's going to release the Kraken, as it were. But as you guys know, the spiritual weapon isn't big, so it's like a little tiny Kraken. It can little, still be, baby Kraken. It's a baby Kraken. It can still do Kraken damage. Okay. It's going to crack in some heads. It's going to crack, crack in some heads. <laughs> Go back to Faerun. Boom. Uh, uh, oh, it does dear. force damage. Where would you like to put your spiritual kraken? She liked to put the spiritual kraken in flanking with uh, the one that uh, Carlton's attacking. Sure. Bernie, what's your passive perception? 15. You notice all of the natives that have surrounded the satyr in a protective circle are horrified. Absolutely (laughs) horrified. Oh no, I've made a cultural faux pas. It uh no, it's not cultural. You actually are unsure why. They they are looking at this thing with a mixture of it's as though you've summoned their worst nightmare in spiritual weapon form. Oh. Oh no. But you do get to make an attack against the chimera with it. Perhaps I should have summoned the hippocampus. Is it too late to change it? (laughs) It's a little too late to change it. And I think it's thematically wonderful. So we're going to go for it. But it's, I was trying to think it's an island nation. And I was trying to think. You picked something beautiful. And I'm so happy. It's very cute. But the people of this world are horrified. It's like, it's like the cutest little like chibi kind of kraken. It's a a kraken. It's, it's a, a, oh, a little quacking. Yeah, quacking. <laughs> and a quackin'. it's still going to do level four, fourth level spell cracking damage. Well, you got to roll to hit first. I do get to, okay, so. D4, do, do, do. D4, do, do, do. Does oh. a 13 hit? Sadly not. You're distracted for just a moment by the horrified looks on everybody's faces. Wait, no, I get advantage. We're in flanking. All right, roll again. Oh, what am I thinking? I did that on purpose. Does a natural 20 damage? That does it. Go ahead and roll damage. Lauren, how do you do natural 20 damage again? So uh, what would you normally roll? Uh, This would be a 3d8 plus 5 on a hit. So so you, uh, with a natural 20, you get to double the dice. So you would get to roll 6d8 plus whatever the plus is. But I let one of those dice be max damage. So you're going to roll 5d8 plus 8 plus whatever the rest of it is. I basically give you one of those dice as max dice for free. That's 39 points of damage. Nice. This chimera is 
already practically dead. It is still technically standing, but between the flurry that Carlton has put against it, the arrow that Travancore has sunk into it, and now your Kraken damage, it is staggered. But I think that is all you can do at this moment, unless you'd like to move. I would like to move. You don't want to be in this beautiful line with everybody? No, no, no. This is no. That was no. The answer is if I can say no, nine, um, non, any, like, whatever language you know at home how to say no and say it now. Say it loud, please. On my account. Bernie's going to move. What was the radius that that thing vomited on us in? Um, That was a 60-foot radius line that was five feet wide which is why i was so impressed that you all got into a beautiful line between the two of them had no choice let me say this bernie would have moved if she could have moved she's gonna kind of move uh she's gonna move like southeast a little bit from where she's she's gonna get outside the what apparent the the residual vomit trail sure yeah, you're going to move closer to where the globe of invulnerability is and everybody is, is standing around. At the end of your turn, you all hear and feel the ground shake. Oh, bless Bay. Here comes Mama. Uh, Carlton, it's your turn. Now that I am in uh, funking with Baby Kraken, I'm going to continue to do exactly what I've been doing. And that is uh, wailing on this creature. Sure. And the baby kraken has, I assume, the flanking. Your advantage comes from the fact that the baby kraken has one tentacle over its eyes. So it cannot see you as well. Aww. <laughs> and it's giving you a thumbs up with another tentacle, which is weird because you don't have, it doesn't have thumbs. All right. So uh, 14 points of damage for a 25 to hit. 25 hits. Yep. Uh, this thing is technically still alive, but it, like, two of its heads are already starting to hang limp. All right, well, you know what? I can do that again. All right. Does an 18 hit? 18 does hit. Yes. All right, uh, 17 points. How do you dispatch of this chimera? Woo. So I slashed off two of the heads, and then the, the shark face is there, and I jam, it's like, as its maw is open, I jam my sword through it, rip its jaws apart, and then pull my sword back out. And it falls limply to the ground in pieces, bleeding out onto the sand. And what would you like to do next? Uh, I can actually banana around to get into flanking with the other one. And I will action surge and take two more swings. Sure. As a free action, you get a high tentacle from... <laughs> All right, 18 does hit, so that'll be uh Are you sure an 18 more. hits? You should probably oh, ask is, about the second one, creature. but yes. It is a different creature, technically. I thought they were kind of just the same creature that just looks slightly different. Uh, no, but an 18 does hit. My bad. I thought they were just, like, smushed together monsters, and they're technically the same monster, just different parts of monsters. Hey, listen, the three of you are three- I don't know what the hell's going on. The three of you are three humanoids with two he- with one head, two arms, and two legs, and yet you all have different ACs, so- That's true. Elvenoids, but whatever. All right. Anyways, uh, 18, yes, it hits. Yes. You said. Uh, so for 20 points of damage. Okay. And then I have another attack. Uh, 22 to hit. That does hit. All right. Uh, ugh, gross. Uh, for 11 points. Okay. Yep. Oh, do I need to separate those damages for this creature? No. All right, good. So then 11 points total. All right. Carlton dispatches one creature and lays into the other. And Travancore, it's your turn. Okay. Fearing that this creature might have a similar build to the other one, he's going to move about 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 feet away. Basically... A little bit south of where the, the first one was. So he still has a clear line of sight of it. And he's going to move, as bonus action, he's going to move his Hunter's Mark to the dispatched one, to the uh, the one that is currently standing and flanked. And okay. he is going to shoot him with a plain Jane arrow. Here we go. Oh, Travancore, your arrows are never 30... plain Jane. Oh, but you know what? Especially not with a 19, which, because of Isolgal, is basically a, tw- a 20. So I'll drink for it that. It isn't basically. It is. It is a crit. Cheers go ahead and roll damage. All right, so I got to remember, like, I double the dice, but one of them is maxed. So ordinarily, this would be one die, eight plus six plus eight. So one die, eight plus yep. 14. Oh, my gosh. All right, here we go. Eight damage for the hunter's mark, 17 for the arrow. Nice. Well done. That is, where does this arrow sink into this chimera that it does so much damage? All right, where, let's see, what would the head would it's be It's still most? standing, but you've done a grievous injury. I think it's a crit shot, so I think the snake is more valuable to its anatomy than one would suspect. So I think it pierces both of the snake's eyes one than the other and it stays in there so now the the snake the tail of this creature which is the head of a snake is now flailing around blood spurting in all directions but yeah it i'm gonna say that its tail is is decapitated 
Or I could say that I pinned the tail to the rest of it and it caused a grievous, uh, more critical entry that way. Either way, it is it is now dispatched. Anything else? No. Oh, that's right. I get to give a, a extra action to one of my uh, my colleagues. This time we're going to do Jonathan the Magimuscular because he's right there anyway. Now, it's just a it's just an attack, right? I couldn't like cast a spell. I'll let you cast a spell of third level or lower. Okay. Well, just to be fair about this. Since this is supposed to be like a one-time reaction, so I'm trying to be I'm trying to be fair and fun but mitigate it so no like six level dropping that shit. That is 100% fair. So how about a third level fireball uh right at uh at our feet and I say Carlton, danger close. Could throw down a fireball right right at my feet, uh, just on the other side, so I don't have to sculpt it around. Uh, yeah, I don't have to. Tr- I don't have to sculpt it around anyone else. Just Carlton and I. Okay. Like and I'm really thinking with the amount of times you put a fireball like with me in it and sculpting, I should really just get my eyebrows tattooed on. Because <laughs> like your face is okay. They do very good job. Uh, the Chimera does roll an eighteen. Is that enough? That will save. But it'll still take half. Go ahead and roll that damage. So 24 damage. Nice. All right. Anything else? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm or sorry. No, hang on. Well, yeah? Jonathan, you're elemental. Right? Uh, yeah. So hang on. So that's one, two, three, four. I rolled four ones in that damage roll, which all get converted to twos. So that's an additional four. So that's actually 28 damage. All right. It's looking super hurt. Uh, it is technically still standing. That was the end of Travancore's turn, unless Travancore wanted to do anything else. No, I'm done. But I'll... Okay, so, uh, Jonathan, it is your turn. Jonathan the Magimuscular is going to use an ability that he has never used before. Uh, so having just Punch? cast... Uh, no. <laughs> no, you tried that the other night. It didn't work out right, very well. It went horribly. It's, That's true. It's not very effective. Yes, let's all laugh at me. Uh, anyway. <laughs> we did. Uh, so, Jonathan the Magimuscular, he does something that you haven't seen him do before. He holds a fireball, and it looks like he's going to cast a fireball, but the fire grows much bigger than the normal uh, small blue bead that he uses to throw around. This almost encompasses his entire fist, as you can see his whole arm flexing as he overcharges a fifth level fireball and again throws it at his feet. And instead of just throwing it on the ground, he actually punches the ground as an immense roiling sphere of blue flame emerges from him. With this ability, I do this uh, evocation at maximum damage. Part Iron Man, part Iron Fist. I like it. This Chimera completely fails this fireball. So go ahead and... If you want to roll the damage, you can, but I'm going to say this thing only had 10 hit points left. So if you would like to just describe... It took max. Yeah, go ahead and describe. So the 65 points of fire damage that it takes... (laughs) Jesus. uh, Just totally envelops it. It looks like... Like, it's one of those anime uh, sort of explosions where it just emerges as a dome and you see the chimera just kind of like get enveloped and sort of disappear into it. And when the when the dome like kind of explodes and dissipates, there's just ash. There's just ash in the wind. What I pictured when you did that was it was a burnt charred chimera and the ash just crumbles in front of us. And then there's Carlton. Hi. (laughs) That's not wrong. Yeah. All right, this thing crumbles to ash. Is there anything else you want to do? Jonathan the Magimuscular is going to go over to Sarah and say, are you guys okay? I think we are okay for the moment. Yes, that was was amazing. Are you done? Yes. Bernie, it is your turn. Well, there's a rumbling. Everything's dead, right? As far as you can see, yeah. Well, there was that rumbling earlier. Mm. There was a rumbling from earlier. It shook the entire beach. I assume something else is coming, Bernie. I she's cast bless. There was something else that happened. If you'd like to look around, if you there's yeah, she would. She'd like to look around, like a basic perception, maybe. Uh, yeah, you can give me a perception check. Okay, that's a that's a dirty twenty. Okay, with a dirty twenty, it's a gorgeous day. The sea should not be swelling like that. Oh, so the sea's behind us, right? The sea, so on the map, the sea is going to be to the north. The edge of the water is about 250 feet away. You're up against the wall of this city, and that's to the south of you. And these creatures kind of arrive to to the north, or to the east and to the west. So north is where the rumbling came from, and that's where the ocean currently is. Can I do a religion check to see if somebody released an actual kraken? Sure. (laughs) 
<laughs> and Bernie kind of looks around. She's like, oh, oops. She knows. Like, she knows she's done wrong. That's an eight. She doesn't know. She just has this horrible sinking anxiety that she's made the biggest mistake. <laughs> Is there anything else you would like to do besides have horrible sinking anxiety? Um, she says, well, I'm sure you all have guessed this, but some things are going to come out of the ocean in the next yeah, couple of minutes. Who knows? Uh, God, I wish she could like pin. There's not much she can do. Like it, the the ocean is roiling. I'm not going to run towards the ocean. I'm not dumb. Neither is she. Does it, is there any like not, can I investigate? Can I look, I don't know. Can I look better at the ocean to see if there's things coming out of it? I'm not gonna let you do another perception check, but if you can think about another check you want to do, I'll let you do that before the end of your turn. Uh, she thinks there's gonna be some kind of animal coming out of there. Can I do animal handling? Sure. Survival, maybe? I don't know. Give me either. She wants to survive this. Let's call it survival. Sure. That's a natural 20. What horrible beastie is coming out of the ocean? Plus five. It's a 25. Bernie really wants to know that she hasn't committed the worst of crimes and conjured a miniature of what's about to come kill them. Here's here's how I'm going to explain it with the survival check. You're pointing. I- I'm assuming you're telling everybody there's something She's like, coming. Yeah, the ocean. It's doing that. I-, I didn't grow up at the beach. It- didn't you grow up at the beach, Jonathan? Um, there's waves and then there's whatever, whatever the... Whatever this is. And because you're saying that and pointing it out and then your survival check lets you know that this is not one large wave. This is a a large creature and five different bumps. And just before this creature emerges, as you point this out, as you're, you manage to pick out that... No, this isn't just a thing. This is a thing with five separate parts to it that is arriving. Sarah behind you gasps and says, <gasps> They wouldn't. They wouldn't send it again. What, 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 what? Out from the ocean comes a gargantuan, technically, five-headed snake-like creature with massive claws, beaks on the end of each of its five heads oh that my God, rise it's a out of the ocean that charges onto the beach, tail lashing, eyes glowing in hate and anger. And as it uses this turn, because it did kind of roll like shit. Does Bernie get anything for being a, like, does she get to do anything unfortunately it's the end of your turn at when this creature arrives so it's not going to do anything immediately well then she's gonna look at sarah and she's gonna say what in the nine hells did this guy do to have them send a hydra to get him it's not just a hydra that is polacrantos Paula, oh, what now? Good, they has got oh, what, a what? name. Okay. It is a legendary creature. That is coming out of the ocean at you. Thanks for listening to our adventure. If you've enjoyed our show, visit us at DungeonDrunks.com for links to all of our social media, pictures and bio of our cast, a full list of credits, and more. We'd appreciate it if you left us a review, and we would love it if you come support us on Patreon. Visit Patreon.com slash DungeonDrunks to sign up. Thanks again, and we'll see you next encounter. We appreciate all of our patrons, and extend a special thanks to our top-tier patrons. Thank you Megan, Lori, aka Calamity Jane, Sir Narvian Sailor Tweak, John Adi, Linnea Boyev, and Hunted Shadows, LLC.